Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, Genesis family and Merry Christmas. Uh, This is our Christmas service. Thank you to Brianna, who uh, last moment came and decorated the place. Um, It seems like it's just fitting for this year, the way things have happened. You know, it's like, ah, what are we going to do? Let's do something. And so here we are. Uh, Before we do get started, I do want to pause and we do want to pray for Shannon, Ted and Margie's daughter, Many of you have seen on the email that's gone out that she has uh, contracted COVID and she is in the hospital now. Um, I did get a text from Ted this morning saying that the nurse who's taking care of her, whose name also happens to be Shannon, and, you know, little things like that mean a lot. Just knowing that there's someone with that name, it brings some sort of this understanding that more happens in our lives than we understand. And so the nurse said that they have a good feeling that she's going to recover, but we do want to pray for her. Many of you know Shannon is someone who is in a compromised condition where this could become very serious, or it is very serious. So let's pause and let's pray for her and for us as we move forward this morning. God, we thank you for little things that mean a lot. We thank you for hope that shines through the smallest of cracks and penetrates our hearts in the darkest of times. And we thank you that that is happening in our lives. May we see it. May we recognize it. And may this morning be an opportunity for us to embrace that hope that light, that love. I lift up Shannon to you. Have your healing hand upon her. Touch, restore her health. Bring peace upon our loved ones, Ted and Margie, their family, her brothers. God, surround them with encouragement from us as well as from your spirit. And this morning, in this strangest of Christmas services, may the reality of who you are take hold of our lives. May we be more aware than we were before of how good you are how close you are. 
Thank you for this opportunity. May you enrich the hearts of your people. I lift up those who are struggling. The texts that I've received, the people I've talked to who are going through so much right now. Lord, my heart goes out to them, and I pray that this time and this talk reaches them where they're at. And I do ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Gosh, this is going to be a good one here. I don't mean necessarily good, but hopefully it'll be good, but it's... An emotional one, anyway, starting off. Frank Sinatra used to sing a song called That's Life. It's an old song. I don't know how many of you are familiar with it. And some of the lyrics are, that's life, that's what all the people say. You're riding high in April, shot down in May. But I know I'm going to change that tune when I'm back on top, back on top out in June. Does anyone else feel like life is measured by moods, right? It's good, it's bad, you're, you're high, you're low, you're happy, you're sad. There's these moods and it's like, okay, how is life? Life is like this mood today and it's like this mood tomorrow and it's like this mood. And gosh, if we were to measure a mood, 2020 is like this kind of mood that has been sitting on us for so long and as we look at this Christmas story, as it's called, we, we've talked about the apocalypse of Christmas. I still love that title, the apocalypse of Christmas. We've talked about the frailty. We've talked about the humanity. And this morning, I'm going to talk to you about the despair of Christmas. But don't worry, we're not going to live there, okay? It's not going to stay in that mood. We saw or touched on last week in the genealogy of Matthew. And we looked at five women. There was four women and how this salvation story doesn't proceed without them. They are a part of what is now showing up in the birth of Jesus. And we also saw that these women were involved with unexpected sexual relationships. And so, therefore, the anticipation of Joseph Joseph in our story learning that his betrothed Mary is with child, he's telling the readers, don't come to quick judgments. Because what you might have thought was one way is actually turning out to be something else. All these women were righteous according to Matthew's terms that he's going to use. And I want to begin first in chapter 1, verse 16, and then we're going to jump to chapter 2. But in Matthew chapter 1, verse 16, it's the last of the genealogy, and it says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Jacob, the father of Joseph. Where have we heard that before? You see, there was another 
Jacob, the patriarch, who gave birth to Joseph. And we need to keep this patriarch Joseph in mind as we continue with this story because I believe we are meant to. I believe Matthew writes this to help us understand more. This genealogy is less Ancestry.com than it is a living story and what a story it is. Now, Matthew chapter two, starting at verse one. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, I hope you'll join me on this journey as I I dive into some things that I hope will be meaningful to us. And when I say that, especially in a, a, a year like this, especially at a time like this, especially when there has been so much pressure and bad news, when there is so much weighing on us, what we need more than a happy story is a real story. What we need more than just this idea of, hey, let's all feel better is something that is hopeful that we can actually grab hold of. And that's what I'm wanting to do is understand that there is a time of despair that we live in, not just today, but have lived in similar throughout history where this story shows up. And we start first with these magi, right? Wise men, as they're called here. The first thing is something that's actually a little comical. It's a little satirist. I don't know what the word is. It's kind of like satire. You have these, quote, wise men go up to Herod, the king of the Jews, and ask him, where is the king of the Jews? That's kind of funny, and that's not really very wise, especially knowing Herod, where Herod killed his own family because he was fearing that they would try and take his monarchy to come up to him and say, hey, where is the king of the Jews going to be born, Mr. King of the Jews, right? It's something that's a little striking right at the beginning. And second, Matthew begins with this pattern and we see it throughout the gospel, this depicting people who are in authority in such a way, it doesn't matter if it's King Herod, if it's Pontius Pilate or if it's the high priest, as working in opposition to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus even speaks about those who rule the Gentiles, show off their authority over them, and their high-ranking officials order them around in Matthew 20. His model of servant leadership, of being a servant to all, is the opposite. And so we see at the very beginning this person who is the king not being recognized as the king. 
Third, Matthew begins to move power away from Jerusalem, the Judean capital. The gospel explains that when Herod heard of this rival king, he was troubled and everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. The reason everyone was troubled is because you don't tell this crazy man this kind of news without repercussions. And Jerusalem is the central place. Jerusalem for Matthew is both the holy city and the place where Jesus will be betrayed, tortured, killed for Matthew. But for Luke and John, that mission begins not in Jerusalem, but from a mountaintop in Galilee. For Matthew, the center of power shifts from the big to the small. We then see Matthew insists that the message is not for the academics, the elites. It's not for the kings and high priests. The gospel, the good news, is for those who become like children. It's for those who unknowingly go to a tyrant and ask where the real king is going to be born. And Jesus prays, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have shown them to babies. Matthew 11. And so this is where this story begins. And it says that these wise men, these magi, as we know that the word is and what they really are, that they see a star. Now, this has troubled me for all my life. And when we try and make this really understandable and put it in a place where I've heard people say, well, there was, you know, planets that lined up and these planets that lined up may appear like a star. I still have a hard time understanding how planets lining up looking like a star can show up over a household. Does anyone else ever like what's going on here, right? Let's think about this. Stars, which are giant balls of fire, right? They're gas of of hydrogen and who knows what else. I'm not going to go there. That's beyond my pay grade. Don't function like GPS systems for dropping the Magi off in Jerusalem and then rerouting them to the suburbs, right? It's not Google Maps or Waze saying, okay, you know, turn right here, go here. Okay, there's the star at the stop sign. You'll see a giant star over a house, right? That doesn't happen. The star of Matthew's second chapter here is not a star as we understand stars. And we just have to come to this realization. And it's not taking away from the story. It's actually embracing the truth of the story. People in ancient times, they did not know about thermonuclear fusion. They didn't know that stars were giant balls of burning gas. The ancient world stars were sentinel beings. They were gods. They were souls of righteous people or angels, messengers. The star is some sort of heavenly messenger. It's not a science lesson that appeared to these Zoroastrian astrologers who worshipped another god that led them to the true one. There's so much there that is speaking. 
that is drawing us in, that is breaking down maybe some preconceptions that they had or maybe that we have, that is forcing us to think about a messenger appearing to these astrologers and leading them to where even the religious people of the time did not know what was happening. Story continues in verse three. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, O you, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star they had had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offering him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. This story has so many ups and downs, right? That's life. Angel appears to Mary, says, blessed are you. She rejoices. We have her song of celebration. They have to then travel because they're being taxed. And so we have a pregnant woman on a donkey traveling to give birth in a barn and put the baby in a feeding trough. It's like, great, an angel tells me this. Great, we're having to go on a road trip on a donkey while pregnant. And then shepherds come, they celebrate with them. There is confirmation. There is, again, a a rejoicing this good news, oh boy, these things are happening. And then they have to go, flee for their lives, right? She gives birth, which could be a plus or a minus, depending on, you know, it's like minus and then it turns into a plus. And right after the birth, after the child's born, at some point they have to flee to Egypt. Things are good, things are bad, things are good, things are bad, things are good, things are really bad. And Joseph's story is the same. Really, Joseph is is unique in that he is the only one that has the choice whether to be there or not, right? 
Mary's pregnant. She's got to be there and give birth. Jesus has no say in being born. He's the baby. Joseph did have a choice. He chose to be there. Remember, he starts off with this bad news. The one who I'm engaged to is pregnant. Then he receives a dream saying, hey, Mary's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So I guess that's good news. And so then the child is born. I guess that's still good news. And then he has to run for his life and becomes a refugee. And that's bad news. While they flee to Egypt, we read of Herod's slaughter of the innocents. It takes place later in the chapter. And I'm not going to read through it all. But this isn't really a happy story. I know Christmas, we have kids come up and sing Christmas carols and we have lights and we have stars and we have presents and we have all these things, but the Christmas story is a little bit more like real life, right? We've tamed Christmas to a story that's really hardly recognizable to what it was. And we've, like we do so many things, we've made it palatable so that we can enjoy it without having to emotionally deal with it, which I think is one of the struggles we have, why there's so much depression at Christmas. Uh, Get these words out. There's so much depression because we have the sense of joy, happiness is good, everything's supposed to be good. This is all good news. This is all good. And we have this feeling of, well, I have to pay the bills and I have to deal with this. And I have a friend whose daughter is in the hospital and it's serious. And we have so many other things going on where we feel this disconnect from the happy story and we have the living story and we wonder, where is the Christmas story in all this? And this is where it's at. Right? When you have a slaughter of children, part of the Christmas story, you can't just take that away. You can't ignore something like this, but we manage to so many times. Herod takes action. His offense, literally, is to send his soldiers to Bethlehem and kill the children in the city and the region around it who are two years and younger. Now, there's a difference between infants and toddlers but I doubt that soldiers would want to ask how old they are. They're not going to go into a house and say, how old is your kid? Oh, two and a half, are you sure? They're not going to distinguish between boys and girls. They are going to go and they are going to slaughter and wreak havoc. They don't have concern for the life of these children. Now, there's no ancient sources other than Matthew's here that records the slaughter of the innocents. And no one mentions it again, even in Matthew's gospel. But I think the point here and what it's leaning into is about despair and what comes after it. Because this is a desperate time. And that was true with the babies here that were slaughtered and those in Egypt that were also taken from the children of Israel and put to death. And it happens in stories all over the world that we don't think too much about. There's between 350 to I think it was almost 600,000 people who've died in Syria over the last few years. 
we don't hear much about it because it's not our concern. But it's in these stories and in this setting that gospel shows up. Now, remember the Joseph connection at the beginning because that really is what's being played here. It continues, right? The, the first Joseph, the patriarch, he had to go to Egypt too, traumatically. His brothers sold him as a slave into Egypt. This Joseph traumatically has to flee for his life and also goes to Egypt, right? The first Joseph dies in Egypt, but not before he has dreams, He dreams that save the people and he does return back, though it's just his bones. When he dies, he says, don't leave my bones here, bring them out of Egypt. And in Exodus 13, we see that Joseph's bones are carried back and buried into his homeland, the land of promise. Knowing this ancient story, being a part of their tradition, Matthew's readers can anticipate that the second Joseph, born from Jacob, will also dream dreams, which he did. A dream that Mary was to be married, a dream that he was to flee to Egypt. He has these dreams and he actually returns to the land of Israel and also brings salvation to them. This time it is in Jesus. While in Egypt, the male Hebrew children are slaughtered. So here in this story, Moses is rescued and will rescue his people. Jesus is rescued and will rescue his people. There are these correlations that they would immediately see and take hold of that I think sometimes we lose sight of what is happening because it's not our tradition. And so these connections sometimes can be lost. We don't know how long it took before Herod realized that the Magi had duped him, right? It might be two weeks. It might have been two months. Who knows? We don't know. You can walk to Bethlehem to Jerusalem in a day. However long, Herod was not going to risk his rule. And so Jesus, Mary, and Joseph remain in Egypt until he dies. Matthew tells us that the flight to Egypt And the eventual return to the land of Israel fulfills Hosea 11.1, where it says, out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, Matthew tells us, Jesus is repeating Israel's story and in doing so is giving it new meaning. And really that is what is happening here. We're seeing tragedy, difficulty, history, given new meaning. Do you need new meaning? Maybe in your life and in your circumstances right now, do you need to hear God telling a story and bringing hope to where you are right now? Because Herod's plan didn't succeed. When he dies, another angel again makes a dream appearance and tells Joseph, bring the child and his mother from Egypt, return to the land of Israel. Joseph listens again, but realizing that Herod's son is 
now ruling Judea. And so Bethlehem, he fears returning home. And Matthew says, having been warned in a dream, of course, it always happens in a dream, Joseph relocates to Galilee and settles in Nazareth. And this move too was a part of some plan. For it fulfilled what was spoken through the prophets, namely, he will be called a Nazarene. We see in Matthew chapter two, later on in verse 22. Now there is nothing in the scripture anywhere that says he will be called a Nazarene. So what's he talking about? We can only speculate, but maybe he's actually prophetically talking about what will be spoken about him. Maybe Jesus is rewriting the story in such a way that people are now going to tell this story even differently. As we read through Matthew's gospel, there's these major and minor chords of the first two chapters that continue to provide the background music of the whole book. These swells and these lows the righteous and the presence of the divine with us, the faithful women and the coming of the Gentiles to worship the God of Israel, the reversal of fortunes where the poor and the hungry will be filled, where the rich will learn to share of the challenge of kingship, of danger, of people displaced, set in a particular time, in a particular place. The first two chapters of Matthew contain and hold the meaning of the entire book because the stories that they tell are our stories. And and this is the gospel. The, The birth of Christ isn't this happy fairy tale. It is the reality of life that has the good and the bad and the very bad. And it shows up and it brings help to those who are in desperation in need of it. And it reveals those who are in power who are abusing that power. And it takes the power that really exists and it gives it to the least of these and it overthrows the mighty with faith like a child. Hearing this morning about Shannon being in the hospital, my heart sank. Getting some texts this week from people who are part of our community who are struggling, my heart sinks. And wanting to know what, what does this story have to offer these people, this time going through these things. And I see there's very similar roads that we are on that they were on. That this good news message isn't for just little babies and candles and carols. It's for those who have lost children. It is for those who are being displaced. It is for those who are having to trust, even though this is crazy. It is a retelling of the story of the children of Israel 
in a new way with new meaning to everyone. This afternoon, this evening, my daughter is getting married. She was supposed to be married in April. And I never seen anyone have planned things so precisely as these two have. They were ready for everything a month ahead of time. Everything. I don't even know what happened in my wedding because I was so detached from it, right? It's like, it's today, right? You know, I mean, it was like, they were so prepared. They were riding high, things are gonna be great. And then COVID happens, everything shuts down. Okay, that vacation in Europe, gone. That place, all the food preparations, gone. And I mean, they, they had covered themselves. They weren't liable for the cost of things that didn't happen. And they still plan on having a wedding celebration someday. But all those things gone. Well, maybe in August we can try it again. Maybe in the summer it'll decline preparations again gone. What do you do when your plans hit COVID? When there's King Herod's in your life, what do you do when there's devastation? What do we do with the despair of life? You get married anyway. And this isn't like against COVID. Yeah, COVID, we're in your face. We're gonna, we're gonna get, you can't stop us, COVID. This is just, no, I am going to live this life because this is what I can do. You see, Joseph, what can I do? I, I, am, I am betrothed to this woman who's pregnant already. Okay, I have a dream, marry her. Okay, I'm gonna marry her. Okay, we have a kid. I have another dream, get out of here. You're gonna be killed. Okay, I go, we come back. Oh, don't go back yet because his son's there. Okay, I'm not going back yet. And what do we do? Then we move back in and then all of a sudden the story starts to unfold. You see, life is happening. Are we gonna continue living a part of it? Because what we're doing is we're giving birth to hope here. We're giving birth to a future. We don't know the future, but it is a future. And our privilege is to live into it. You see, today we're going to celebrate. Today, in the middle of a pandemic, in my backyard, by a fountain with some poinsettia plants, we're going to have a wedding. And it's going to be great. My daughter, I'm not giving her away. There's no chance of that. She, she wasn't, she's not someone I can give away. She made this choice all on her own. But I'm going to celebrate with her getting married to this man who I love and see his family. And we're going to eat tacos and I'm going to drink whiskey we're going to celebrate in the middle of a pandemic. I'm going to praise God for this day, for this opportunity with these people. And I'm going to be praying for Shannon, Ted, 
Margie. I'm going to be praying for the others who have mentioned to me struggles that they're going through. They are part of my heart, even as this is part of my heart. But the birth of Christ took place in a time like a pandemic, in a time of despair. It was the choice to live. If you receive anything from the Christmas story, let it be the birth and the promise of hope in spite of the pain and pandemic and the loss and the loneliness. In spite of the death and the despair, there is a promise of peace. There is the birth of hope and there is the hidden depths of joy as we see through all of it that God is with us. You see, this is a story that has been told and will continue to be told because God is continually unfolding and unveiling his work in our lives. There are still messengers reaching out to people who are wandering, looking for something, not knowing what, and God brings them to who he is. You think God can't help us find our way through this? He is, and he will. And so the Merry Christmas that I want to offer to us is one that shows up in a story like this, in a time like this, in lives like ours. The reality shows up here. It's not just the put on a happy face, put on the smile, pretend everything is good. No, things are good because God is here and God is good. What I want to do is be where God is. And sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's hard. Because that is life. May Christmas find you where you're at. May you not try to manufacture Christmas. But may you enter this story. And may it find you. Let's pray. Father, there are no words that can bring comfort to the loss that some are experiencing. Those who are going to go through Christmas without our dear sister Colleen for the first time, there are no words that can bring comfort to that loss. But there is still comfort to be found. And the comfort is found here, Lord, in you. those who are suffering from depression, Lord, there's nothing that can be said to take away the pressure that is on their lives, the struggle they are going through. But there is still relief to be found. The relief is found here in your presence. It's not the removal of pressure, but it's the recognition of presence. 
And so for these dear family who are in these situations, may this story, the reality of Christmas, the despair of Christmas that provides hope for the world, provide hope for their lives where they're at. May they see that the story is just beginning and is continuing to unfold and it will do so in their lives as it did here with Joseph and Mary. May we be sensitive to one another through this time as our emotions are tender, as our situation is frail. May we be quick to listen and reach out to send a text, to make a call, to write a card, to, to do what we can to make a difference. May we continue to live in a pandemic. May we not let it stop life. Lord, may we get married. May we eat. May we laugh. May we love. May we do what we can with what we have, where we're at, and allow your story to continue through us. I pray for those who are here, maybe listening or will watch later, who at some point maybe are like these magi who are wanting to find the king, wanting to find meaning in life. May your messenger lead them to your son. May your messenger, whether it be a star, an angel, or a person, bring them to a place where hope is found in the reality of God with us through Christ. Thank you, God, for a Christmas that is real, a hope that endures and a love that can be embraced. I pray that take place in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. I can't think of any place I'd rather spend Christmas on a Sunday morning than with this community. I'm so grateful for friends who have become family, people who have been a part of my life, whose lives I've become a part of, who we go through the good, the bad, who we've gone through 2020 together and are still here. I love you. I need you. And on a wooden stage with a fake tree and the makeshift things that we have, I I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. This is home. This is where I belong. This is where I need to be. And I hope that you guys can find this kind of connection with one another, with us in whatever ways we can We're not through. 
there's a lot of life to be lived. We have a metaphoric wedding to get to that we're going to, and we're not going to stop. And I'm thankful for all of you guys who are here, who have been helping, who have been supporting Genesis through this time of pandemic and through the years. It is so appreciated and so grateful. And my prayer for you is that the Lord would meet you where you are at at this season. May the hope of Christmas not be a facade of lights and images of the pristine, but may the hope of Christmas be the light that shines in the darkness of despair that touches and changes the life. May the story of Moses and Jesus become your story that changes your life. God bless you guys. We love you. We got a a video we're going to show at the end. We showed it at the beginning of Randy and Audio Mosaic. Hope you guys will watch it, enjoy, love you, miss you. Have a merry, merry Christmas. We will be here Wednesday for take two. It'll be our semi uh, Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve celebration. So uh, hopefully you guys will join us there. God bless you. Love you. You have been listening to the Genesis podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.